Mary, did you know? That's such a good song. Okay, we are going to do communion at the end and the candlelight. So now you get to uh, hear me for a few minutes, I guess. All right, so the title of the message this morning, or this evening, so used to saying that. What's the big deal about Jesus? Why Jesus? Well, Charlie Brown could tell us a little bit about it. Go ahead, Chance. All right, but we know the story doesn't end there. That's just the beginning. Approximately 2,000 years ago, the event of Christ coming into the world pretty much went by unnoticed by the elites of the world. This event was the coming of a child, born of a virgin. The child was no ordinary child. He was and is 100% God and 100% man. His coming changed the course of humanity and of human history for all time. While God had been with man since the beginning of time, now he condescended to becoming a human. He took upon himself flesh and he dwelt among us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you um, in reverence and trying to remember what you did for us, Jesus. Jesus, we want to be changed. We don't want to stay at the same spiritual place, but we want you to mold us and make us as a potter does the clay. Lord, we ask that you would make us into whatever vessel you desire Continue, Lord, we ask, to strive with us and, and to take out those things that are impure and not what you want. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. And we ask, Lord God, that you would take over the remainder of this service in an honoring way as we attempt to honor you. In Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God and the church said, Amen. Well, first of all, the first question of... What happened? What is this all about? What, why did we need Jesus? Well, to really find out what happened, it doesn't start with the story of the coming of our Savior that we just heard about. No, it goes back a lot further. 
It really starts back in the book of Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It'll be on the screen. And now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves coverings. There's a lot going on in there, but at this point, God had created all things. He had created Adam, He had created Eve, and He had placed them in the Garden of Eden, a perfect place. God had told them to not eat of the knowledge of good and evil, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they did anyway. And skipping down to verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you have taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. And this is the beginning of the curse that was placed upon mankind for our rebellious disobedience. And humankind is still, was no longer without thought or fault. We're born into sin, each and every one of us, and we now all have to experience physical death. And a lot in the world will experience or continue to experience spiritual death. Our debt as a whole and individually cannot be paid by us. We sinned against an infinitely holy God. And on our sinfulness, we have no way to make that right with God because we are in sin. But this is not the end of the story. Thousands of years later, God himself would be the one to fulfill the debt, to satisfy his justice that humanity could not fulfill. So that brings us to our second question. What was God's solution? Well, we heard some of it, but let's go over it just a little bit more. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now you heard this a minute ago, and it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. 
you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothing, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You know, we know this scripture very well. Most of us have seen Charlie Brown for a long time. Some of us have even read it in the book called the Bible. Some of us have seen that scene from Charlie Brown year after year after year. Unfortunately, I don't think it's played anymore on ABC. But let's look at that last verse. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Why is there this peace and goodwill toward men? Do we currently have peace on earth? Well, the answer, of course, is no. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verse 3, Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginnings of sorrows. And then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. And in Matthew 10, 34, he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Although I don't think they need help there. That's a joke. You'll get it on the way home. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Some would say that at this point the angels were wrong. There is no peace on earth and goodwill turn in. But they're the ones that are actually wrong. Why? Because they misunderstand the life and message of Christ. His life here on earth was to bring peace between God and man, not between man and man, at least not yet. That's coming. Because of Jesus' being proclaimed himself to be equal with God the Father, he really ticked off the religious leaders of his day. They wanted him dead. They They didn't do it themselves because the common people saw him as a popular leader. He raised the dead, he healed the sick, and he cast out demons with a word. That had never been done. And here he was doing it. But as it related to the religious folks of his day, well, let's just say he wasn't well liked. He called them out on their hypocrisy. As an example, he said in Matthew 23, 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you are like whitewashed tombs with indeed beautiful apparel outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even you so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measures of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. You know, that doesn't look like peace to me. That'd be like me standing up in a Southern Baptist church and and yelling, all of y'all are hypocrites, you don't know God, you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof, you're evil and going to die. That wouldn't go over so well, would it? Especially if it was in a room full of preachers. We don't like to hear that. They hated him. They hated him so much that They got the Romans to do their dirty work for them because stoning wasn't good enough. They knew he would suffer greatly. They didn't care. They just wanted him gone. But you see, all of that, of him dying, of him going to a Roman cross and dying for sin, that was always a part of God's plan. Jesus was and is the perfect sacrifice to satisfy God's justice and his wrath on sin and yet bring us into a right relationship with God the Father. He lived a sinless life, and through his blood we have peace with God, man and God, individually. He died on a Roman cross for your sin and my sin, but you see, he didn't stay dead. No, no, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, declaring victory over death, hell, and the grave, and sits at the right hand of the Father to this day. That is the God that I serve. He left and said he would return to judge the living and the dead, and guess what? He will. And then he will rule and he will reign forever. There's a A shouting passage I love in the book of Revelation that is the culmination of all of God's plan for us when sin is completely eradicated. And John wrote in Revelation 21 verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. 
Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters... And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus takes away the sin of the Christian. John 3.16, most of you know this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not, <clears throat> is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Listen, I got some news for you. You and I, we're born into sin. We have all sinned on top of that. And you know what? Sin separates us from God. But Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That ought to fill you with a sense of, um, that's a problem. Um, I need to do something about that. And you know what? There is hope. And this hope came to earth, born in a manger, and later died to take our place where we should have died. Why? Because the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever gotten wrathful at someone? Really mad? Ladies, have you ever wanted to throw something at your husbands? Have you ever actually done it? Don't answer, dear. You want to hear that story? I'll tell you later. I don't want to get in trouble. According to the Bible, I hate to tell you this, but without Christ... You're a sinner. You're a sinner in God's eyes because you have rebelled against his law. He's the one who said you shall not lie after all, isn't he? You are in need of punishment then. And the wages for your sin is death. But we know that God has given us eternal life. The Bible has told us this. The question is, is if, do you know him? What will you do with him today? If you're not saved, do you want to receive a free gift that Jesus has given you to get rid of sin, to be seen right before a holy God? You know, it isn't easy, and it's going to require you to give up all that you are, your entire being, to God. 
It requires calling upon his name. It requires yielding all that you are to all that he is. Let's be honest, though. Is it really worth holding on to sin? Is your life so great now that it's just worth holding on to sin? See, many years ago, I said, you know, my life isn't that great. It's not that great. So do you want to take care of that sin today? Do you want to take care of that sin today? How does one receive this free gift? You know, I've got a water bottle up here. All I've got to do is hold it out and give it to somebody. All they've got to do is take it. Will you take it? If in this water was living rivers of love, water, and life, Jesus is life. Will you take the water he offers you? And you know how I know that you can be saved? Because Romans 10, 3, 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can tell you every Christian in this building would absolutely love for you to come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And everybody who is a normal attender, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know that you know that you know without a shadow of a doubt that if you stepped outside those doors and you got hit by a truck, you'd wake up in heaven? Are you sure? Are you positive? Because if you're not sure and you're not positive, you need to get sure and you need to get positive right now. Are you sure? Let's pray. If you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, I'm going to stand in front of this altar here where we're about to do communion in a minute. And you could come up and say, I don't know Jesus, but I'd like to. Hey, I'll pray with you. I'll introduce you to him. We've seen that happen in this church. It can happen. It can happen for you. If you're a Christian or think you're a Christian, examine yourself now. Are you sure you'll wake up in heaven? Don't go to eternity without knowing for sure. So how do we call upon the name of the Lord? It's as simple as, Jesus, help! It's not the, actually what you say, it's the intent of your heart. Or you could say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Anybody in here would say, I need to know Jesus. Just put your hand up right now where you sit. Anybody. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We come to worship you. We thank you that you came, that you were born of a virgin. You lived 30 years, did signs, wonders, and miracles for three years, and on the third day rose again. That's our hope, Lord. That is our hope. And we praise you, Lord, and we honor you as of the day that you were born. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.
Brother Al, Brother A.W. talk a little bit. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You just, you just hang out, brother. Just hang out. All right. I have no idea, but it sounded good. All right. Well, not for me. <laughs> It's, it's, it's good to have a little levity. Um, you know, the question is always at, or often asked, not always, who may sit at the table of the Lord? And the answer is, is are you born again of the Spirit of the Lord? If you are, then you may sit at the table. But we're given a warning in the book of 1 Corinthians. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world." That's a good point. The Bible says, let a man examine himself. So let's examine our hearts. Let's get out any unconfessed sin before God, before we sit at his table. Just take a minute to examine yourself. Heavenly Father, as we come before your table, we try to humbly, we try to reverently, we ask that you would help us in the areas that we need to clean up, for it's only by your Spirit can we overcome the world and sin. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Amen. Go ahead, guys. No, I don't, but I'll be glad to take one. Thank you.
You got one? For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup. Thank you, sir. Go ahead, guys. Combine them. That's yours. That's mine. Yep. In the same manner, you also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Okay, now we're going to do candlelight. And I think my wife has the candles. I hope.
as they're doing that. A lot of people ask, well, what, what's the significance of the candle? Well, the scriptures say that Jesus is the light of the world. And he came into the world and men didn't know him because their works were evil. But as a person is saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside them. And then we take that light into the darkness. Chance, would you turn off the lights for us? I know it's not going to get too dark, but it's still afternoon. Oh, never mind. John's got it. Hey, it got lit. I always have trouble lighting these things. Go ahead and share your light with others around you once you get it. You're good, Adib, but you ain't nobody near you. Oh, never mind. I think you got it. Yeah. Did you notice that when the lights went out and I lit this candle, it got a little bit brighter. But when we all had our candles lit, it got much brighter. That's the purpose of the Christian. As we share our light with a dead and dying world that lives in darkness, the light shines in the darkness. Miss... Uh, Joe, would you lead us in a way in a manger, please? Go ahead, Chance. Well, hang on. <laughs> 